This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations presented by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university in San Francisco. This episode featuring spiritual teacher Thomas Hubel, along with cosmologist and CIIS professor Brian Swim, was recorded during a live streaming webinar on May 9th, 2020. During their conversation, Brian and Thomas explore the cosmos and discuss ways to move from being a society informed by trauma to a society that heals trauma. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, including our upcoming online trauma healing workshop with Thomas Hubel, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. Thank you for listening. I'm happy to be here with you, Brian. And uh, before we go into our dialogue, welcome everybody. Uh, there are many thousands of people tuning in right now from around the world. And let's say the good news first. Today we're going to talk a lot about collective trauma. But right now we want to address that we are the remedy. So we are actually the healing of collective trauma through presence and relation mainly. And since we are, we are now tuning in from all around the world here into this uh, space, it seems like a virtual space. Everybody is sitting at home. We can't see each other. And at the same time, we are also in each other's presence and maybe before we start our dialogue, Brian and I, maybe we can just take a minute to sense into the field that we are right now. Everybody's intention to tune into this conversation, like the interest that drives us to be part of this conversation is like a plugin. So we have thousands of plugins that connect to this mutual space. And, and I can just, by setting the intention that I want to sense and feel into this kind of collective container, it's the kind of a collective coherence. All our nervous systems, our bodies, our beings create um, a mutual container. And if you do that intentionally, I think that's also what we're going to talk about later when we talk about collective trauma healing. It's, it's that coherence between us that is an extremely powerful function of human consciousness. And so just to take a moment to feel into thousands of people around the world kind of being part of, right, being part of this moment and creating a space that we're going to fill together at first through the dialogue between Brian and I and, and then through your participation if you wish to through questions and statements. Right. Great. So Thank you for this moment of attunement and uh, hello, Brian. I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, likewise, likewise. So maybe I, I hand it over to you to start us off. Well, thank you, Thomas. Yes, I thought we would start off with maybe uh, some words from you about how you found your way into collective trauma and even, even just so we can include everyone, what is trauma? Right. Yeah, I think the, um, and that's also good news, that the knowledge of trauma, I mean, through many pioneers uh, that's really worked on this for a generation, uh, for decades, we are, we become more and more knowledgeable, actually, how fundamental traumatic impacts are in our lives. And so when we talk about trauma, we many people might think of trauma as severe events like car accidents or wars or uh, very abusive situations. But actually, trauma starts way earlier and during our 
kind of upbringing, the attachment process is a very complex and also fragile process. So trauma is not only severe impacts, but it's severe impacts that might not be noticed as such. So there is the trauma that happens in our kind of whole attachment and developmental process. There is, of course, shock trauma and traumatic events like they happen in wars and uh, violent situations. And, and, and that's, I think, what we're going to explore today. There is ancestral trauma and there is collective trauma. And, and so trauma is, in a way, not the experience that we have, but trauma is what happens in us in relation to that overwhelming experience. So I experience something that is too much for me to process. And then I take that overwhelm and my nervous system learned over thousands of years, because we are not the first ones to experience trauma, to split that off, numb that part. And here is a lot of stress. So I often refer to it as you have a, a TV and you see kind of a, a, a crazy scene in a movie and it's loud. And then you take the, the remote control and you mute it. And it's still going on, but it's kind of quiet. And then you take the TV and you throw it in the ocean. And it still, it still continues. And you see it sinking into the dark of the deep ocean. And collective trauma is basically the diving into the ocean and seeing millions and millions of TVs. And their, their movies are still playing, but we don't see them and we don't hear them. But the, the, the whole process is still going on. So that's one way. And then the other maybe short answer to that question is that it's very important when we think about collective trauma for us to see our own life in the context of hundreds of thousands, and maybe the way uh, you wrote in your book, maybe almost 14 billion years, like we are, we are living in a context. And, um, and that context means that when, when I land here in this life, I'm landing in a pre-traumatized world. So many symptoms and many effects that trauma has for me, might be normal. I, I might say, oh, that's how life is. That's, that's how the world is. And that's why maybe some of the collective aspects, because my parents were partly traumatized, my teachers, my, like the society around me. So I grew up and my, I learned about life through a partly traumatized world. And that's why, and I think that's what we're going to explore a bit today, what are these structures in our societies and cultures and interiors and exteriors that are actually trauma structures that we might not even notice as such? So maybe that's just for the beginning, a short overview. Uh, great, thanks. I, I would like to begin um, placing this, the whole notion of collective trauma in the context of the universe. And I, I think this helps, but I'd be curious in your own response. So the, um, my sense is that, that remedies are become more apparent if we, if we see the, the larger meaning of the collective trauma in which we live. So the, the context in which we find ourselves is that is a universe that has evolved over 14 billion years. And the, the, um, the amazing thing is that the universe from the beginning is aiming at community. So it is it, just, just to give one example of this. <clears throat> if you look at uh, the, the plasma at the beginning of time, the interactions of the elementary particles 
their strengths, right? their proclivities. Even back then, the universe was set upon creating stars and planets. So it has a, the universe has a direction. And so then we, when we go to our, we look at our own planet Earth, um, we have this, this amazing discovery that we began as molten rock, right? Then the atmosphere came forth and the oceans, and then life. And life itself, now, life existed for billions of years as single cells, single cells. And yet then, through this process of, of creative evolution, these single cells joined together and became animals and plants. So you see, the, I think, and, and others think, that the, the moment we are in right now is like the development of the first multicellular organisms. We are, the universe is, is trying to find a way to create a, a unified humanity. And it would be the, the emergence of, um, of a profoundly intimate global humanity with, with the, as you say, a deep relationship, one part to the other. And now, but, but so this is a complex process for sure, but collective trauma is blocking this. Collective trauma is, is keeping us fragmented. And that one of the things, when we were preparing for this dialogue, Thomas, one of the things you said that I, I, I just, I thought was so important is that, that, that what, we've, what we experience within is what is leading to our feeling distant and feeling apart and separate. So that the collective trauma and the refusal to enter more deeply or the, in, in, the lack of, of power or capacity to enter into deeper relationships, they all go together. So I would, um, I would love to hear your own response to that placement of collective trauma in terms of what the universe really is about. It's beautiful. And, 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 and as you said, it's, um, when we see like relation, let's, let's talk a little bit about relation because in order to create a unified community, like there is relation and there is information. I love the word inform nation, every human being and every plant, every animal is a form. And in order to keep this form, we need to stay informed. And how do we stay informed? We stay informed inside and through relation with the world. We stay informed and we can update ourselves moment to moment to moment. Now, what we know about trauma is that trauma, in a way, creates a dissonance and interference. And as you said beautifully, the main trauma symptom is separation. That we will that we feel separate. When in fact everybody is part of. So it creates the feeling as if I was like on the game board. And we hear it in many conversations, look like the system is like this. Uh -huh. But where does it put me when I talk like that? Where am I when the system is like this? So it implies that I'm outside of that system looking at it. And that's not true, but that's true in trauma. And so we have many ways how actually that fundamental notion of separation designs our cultures and societies, designs our thinking, because that separation is also true between my mind, my emotions, my body. We often say even mind and heart are not synchronized, but often we experience that actually it, there are cracks. Like, I often refer to trauma like a, a, a broken window. You see the cracks and the cracks became so normal that, and I often say, you know, Adobe was not 
the one that invented Photoshop, really. Our brain invented Photoshop already way earlier, thousands of years ago. We knew that the trauma cracks are so fundamental and then the brain goes and erases the incongruencies so that we can live. But actually, there is a lot of information that I cannot experience because I have these filter systems of individual ancestral and collective trauma built into my perception. So when I see you, Brian, I don't know if what I see and feel is really who you are. The only way to find out is through resonance. And so the universe, in a way, learns in a way through, in, in our human experience, at least, it learns through resonance. That's, that's, the informate, that's the language beyond all languages is resonance. But if resonance is kind of disturbed or broken down, then I need to go. So if I cannot feel you directly, I need to go to my hard drive and I need to look for files Brian files, because I say, my mind tells me, I know Brian. So if I cannot feel him, I just go and look who he is. Oh, he's this very lovely, warm-hearted man that I really like. So I can, I can bridge my inability to stream you in the moment, like data streaming. And I go to my hard drive and I look at the movie of Brian. But that's not who you are, and I will miss you. So... What I'm saying is, as you said, through collective trauma, we are living in an unseen fragmentation, first of all. There's a fragmentation in our society, in our inner individual experiences, and in the societal experience, or also ways of acting and behaving and speaking and many, many things that actually unconsciously transmit splits, fragmentations. And those fragmentations might be normal because we say, yeah, it's, it's normal that people are so polarized. It's normal that, that that's the world. And I would say, no, that's not the world. That's the world when it's hurt. Because once we can call the things as they really are by their name, then we at least know what we are talking about and say, okay, let's say part of our world is hurt. And let's recognize where the world's hurt and where the world's not hurt. And then I believe um, when you said the universe is, is moving into a direction, as long as I feel that drive of the universe, it's beautiful because there's, some people call it the creative force of the universe, of the divine, like there is a movement. But if I feel separate from it, then I doubt that power. I feel disconnected from it. And I might not be anymore so informed by that power. Mm. Right. Nice. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love the whole image of the of dragging the files out mm-hmm. as opposed to entering entering into resonance, deep real resonance. We have these files and that that's what we're living really and repeating them over and over again. It it reminds me of one of the things I learned from uh, Thomas Berry, and he, um, he, his way of talking about those files uh, was to say that, that we all have a fundamental cosmology. Now, looking at the way we relate to one another and to the universe as a whole, and he called it the use cosmology, use, so that it, like the file we, we take out is, well, the the planet, for instance, is just there for our use, right? So that we we the file tells us that the uh, the Earth is is like a gravel pit or a hardware store. It's just this stuff we can use any way we want. But it doesn't just end with the the Earth. It actually it's how we relate to other groups of people, or maybe even all humans, right? So they. So then this, this um, it's a file of, of separation. And it's, and it's, uh, it's interesting that, that Thomas Berry also rooted this in hurt. And they, they, the hurt he, he identified historically was, was actually the, the Black Death. So it so traumatized the, um, the human being that we've been living with that, that 
collective trauma nonstop. Now, so I am. Um, so how to enter into how to enter into a deeper resonance with how, the real how things really are. I I just have this image I want to again um, you know tell you about and just see what your response is so that the basic cosmology of use says that everything is an object. The universe is an object, so we keep this distance. It's just objects, objects. Now, but but here, here's the amazing discovery. We, you know, scientists, by paying attention, you know, careful attention to the stars, um, came to understand that those stars out there actually constructed all of the atoms of our body. So we have every every carbon atom, every phosphorus atom, every calcium atom of our body was constructed by the stars. Now, so just imagine what this means. Now when we look out at the stars, we're not looking at objects out there. We are actually looking at the process that gave birth to our looking. That process led to the development of eyes and brains. So it's, I mean, it's like, an, it's like, to me, it's the most stunning insight. We're looking at that which constructed us. So we can even say this. We can even say, if you look, if you think of the process of the universe, we are looking out at that which is looking. You see, so that we, we realize that we are actually composed of, of the creative energy that gave birth to those, those stars. You see, so this, the, like you're saying, this, the hurt that keeps us separate and objectifies everything is, is keeping us from realizing that we are the creative energy of the universe itself. That's so beautiful, fantastic. And I was going to say before already that two things come to mind when you say that. One is more planetary global, and one is uh, maybe bigger than that. So in my understanding of trauma and working with many, many people and groups around the world, so... Um, one of the fundamental trauma symptoms is that information cannot flow properly, which means parts of my body, for example, are networks. If you imagine a city at night and you're on a plane, I mean, less nowadays, but if you're <laughs> on a plane, and then you're looking down at the city and the city has a power cut in one quarter, let's say of the city. So the city is dark, but there is still city. So something is going on there in that part of the city, but seen from the plane perspective, I can't tell what. Let's say my nervous system, where it's traumatized and numbed, I don't, I as the subject, don't feel what's happening in my body in that area. So I know, I would say, oh, I feel my body. Yes, I feel my yeah. body, but I don't know what I don't feel. I see it only yeah. through symptoms. So my, my body shows me signs of any kind of symptoms. And then I say, oh, wow, how come that I have that? But how come that I have that means that I don't feel myself. That's why I ask myself about the most immediate experience mm -hmm. that I have. When I ask about my body, I use my mind to ask about something that I'm supposed to feel. <laughs> so... I'm actually looking at myself from my mind, figuring out why is that part of my body hurting. But I'm supposed to feel that directly, not indirectly through thinking. So the, this, the level of disembodiment in the world, as I see it, is way higher than we expect. So the parts of our bodies... And then I'm often saying we are not living in an individual nervous system. You know, in the anatomy class, you go and you see the nervous system, the brain and the spine. And, and then you say, oh, that, that's an individual. No, I, I, I'd say the nervous system is transpersonal and the individual is a sculpture within a transpersonal nervous system. So my experience of nature 
in a certain degree of disembodiment, when I don't feel my body, I don't feel the closest part of nature, which is the carbon and the water and the minerals and the metals are the planet. You know, I am animated planet. The substance of my body didn't come from somewhere. It came from the planet. And so we are actually through the trauma disembodiment, we see the planet as other. And then exactly what you said, it becomes like an object, not an interrelated and interdependent field, world, net of life, web of life. So that's, that's one thing. So I totally agree that the reason, the numbness, and let's say our ancestors and everything they experienced, the tree of our ancestors, back when we follow it back, we come back to the cells that you mentioned before. We come back to the plasma. We come back, like, when I really feel back, but all the, the trauma feels like the Second World War, racism, all kinds of genocide wars around the world, are big blank spots with a lot of pain covered in nothing. The end of the conscious world. And so when we, when we experience ourselves as separate, it means that we lost the connection to what informs us. And that's why we go out of form. Physically, the cells in our bodies often go out of form because they don't get the cell reception in the trauma field. And our societies sometimes go out of form or partly out of form so that it, we call it dysfunction. But that dysfunction is a function somewhere that I don't understand. And the second response to we are looking at that which is looking that we say, I often say presence is exactly what's happening. And that's very deep. It's not only this moment in time. At presence, through when there is a traumatic event, we split off a bubble of energy that we cannot digest in this moment. That is the past. Unintegrated history is the past. And in the moment that happens, it creates a future but that future is not true. That is the future that I'm dreaming about when I cannot be present. Because the real future is being born out of presence. And in presence, I feel interrelated with the whole universe. So that which is looking and my looking is not to. But in the trauma, it feels like separate objects and separate in time. But that time is not a real time. But it's, it's a trauma symptom that our societies live in. This kind of future is part of the repetitive patterns that we all know. How often do you have uh, the same conversation with your husband or your wife, the same conflicts, the same experiences, traumatic events, the same fears, the same thoughts, the same like repetitive patterns. You take the highway that you drove on yesterday, you put it in front of you, and you drive it again. And then we call that future. And that's not the future, that's the past. So once the world is split in that way, we are not talking anymore about the, as you beautifully said, the direction of the universe, that there is our future. That's the higher consciousness, that's the information that brings innovation, genius breakthroughs, you know, real evolutionary steps. The other yeah. part, we are prisoners of time. And that's, so these are the two things that come to my mind as you speak. I love that. I love the, the, the um, prisoners of time. I love that. And also the, um, the idea of, of these things are frozen, you know, you, you started with. And I am. Um, like prisoner, who wants to be a prisoner of time? I mean, that, I, that's a great phrase. The, uh, uh, you know, what it what it brings to mind is this: that um, the trauma is is actually a feature of the universe itself, uh, and as as you know, and I um, <laughs> one of the most traumatic um, experiences that can happen at the galactic scale 
is for is for a galaxy to um, to lose its structure. So uh, the the spiral galaxies can create new stars, and then sometimes that that structure is lost, it's destroyed, and it becomes frozen, just like you were saying, frozen in a state that has lost the capacity to create stars. So I mean that's 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 the ultimate trauma for a galaxy because that means then that the stars that exist that's it one by one they're going to burn out and then it's over but so there here's an, this amazing discovery the large magellanic cloud it's it's a it's a small galaxy that billions of years ago suffered a major trauma and it lost its spiral structure and became frozen now but get this then it drifted for billions of years, and then it entered into a relationship with the Milky Way. It is now circling the Milky Way. But you see, so this goes back to your point about presence and relationship. So now the large Magellanic Cloud entered into relationship with the Milky Way galaxy. The, the relationship is gravitational, but you see, it penetrates right in to the system. And changes it. And after a certain period of time, the large Magellanic cloud began creating stars again. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? amazing. It's amazing. It was just like you were saying, it was frozen. That those capacities were frozen. And, and then in this relationship, they came alive again. Amazing. Brian, it's amazing. Uh, so, first of all, thank you for this. It's uh, it's really inspiring, and 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 you said a few things that I want to re-relate to our human yeah. experience. So, you you said when in the moment I become disconnected from that creative force that brings forth my creativity or the galaxy's creativity to birth new stars, I become old. Aging is not a matter of time. Every human being, in my understanding, is always at the right age. Age, like if I'm 50, 60, 70, 80, that's not age. Aging is when I get old, is when I get disconnected more and more from the creative drive that drives the universe. So that's amazing. And, and, and then we have vertical connections. So that's from, from the the integrated history of humanity is presence. These are the structures of consciousness that we use right now to have this conversation. And at the same time, the higher future, higher consciousness downloads itself maybe bit by bit also through this conversation. And we learn something new together and it's inspiring to both of us. So that's a, a, a learning, a vertical learning, but that's transmitted through our horizontal relation. Horizontal means 2020 and human to human to our heart. But we need the relation to the world to update ourselves. But frozen trauma areas, they don't update themselves. The three-year-old, when, I, when a person was three-year-old and traumatized, the trauma still lives at the age of three as a prisoner or hostage in time. And, and the updates of the human being don't reach that frozen area. But appropriate relation i often say the specificity in relation precision is love in the moment i can relate to somebody that expresses a trauma symptom in an appropriate way and don't take the trauma reactions as personal i can actually become a bridge to support a growth so the galaxy Beautiful. that was frozen Beautiful. that can start yeah. to become creative again. But that's also true that for, let's say, Germany in 1940 or 1942, there's a huge file in the collective unconscious that through appropriate relation of collective fields of people, because we did some very big uh, collective healing events, so that through attuning 
to that file. That's not only true in individual trauma work where we meet and support the release of trauma. The deep, I think, but we can do the same for our collective. Like the, the history of slavery in the US or the Native American genocide or the North-South War or any fragmentation that still rests yeah. in the collective unconscious or the, the immigration history or the Second World War and the Holocaust. I'm just mentioning a few because the whole planet's full of them. Um, that through appropriate relation, either as individuals or collectives to our collective legacy actually enables us to have a new future. And that's very powerful. That's exactly like the collective trauma healing on the planet in a way that you related to the galaxies. But it's a beautiful example because we see that once we, we melt the ice, life is living and living out of the generator. It's like I often say there is a river. Let's say there is a river and water is flowing and snowflakes fall into water. So they melt and they become water. But snowflakes falling on iced over rivers, the snow piles up. So after a certain time, follow-up experiences on traumatic areas cannot be digested and pile up and create the sandwich layer of layer of layer of stress and numbness and repetition. It piles up. But experiences where we are open and related just become part of the river of the universe and stay creative. And so there's a it's a beautiful analogy. So I didn't know what, what you shared before. I didn't know that, but I, it's very inspiring. It's very lovely. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, it just blew my mind when I, when I read about it. Um, and I love that image of, that you just gave of the snow piling up, right? And um, but if there is a, if there is a, a, like an intimate relationship that melts and holds, then there is a, a movement forward. I love that. Mm. I, I one of the questions I wanted to ask you was uh, was about the um, uh, how to think of of trauma from a cosmological point of view. So, um, and I, I had a way of, um, of introducing this. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember now. So, I, one, of the, one of the biggest traumas that the planet has experienced uh, was, you know, it's called oxygen poisoning. So, so around two billion years ago or so, the... Um, this goes with your this your idea of being born into a traumatized world, right? So just imagine being one of these entities that they're born they they come to life, and yet there's a poison all over the entire planet, and um, they they're immediately dying out because you know how do you deal with this? And there there so there are a variety of ways of dealing with this collective trauma at a planetary level. I'm just going to name two. One was this, was um, like massive denial. And so some of the organisms, they were talking about unicellular organisms, single cells. Some of them just decided to dive down to the bottom of, of, of mud and, and hide in a place where the oxygen couldn't get to them, right? And, and, and they are still around. They survived. But they, they're, they're nothing like they were. At one time, they were the dominant form of life. Now they're hiding out in the bottom of um, mud. But another response to this situation was to actually embrace the poison. And so to bring, to, to find a way to interact with what was, what was really killing every, everything. And, and through that was the birth of the eukaryotic cell, a more complex cell, which gave birth eventually to, to animals and plants. So that, in, in a sense, the, um, the, the trauma 
uh, led to a creative breakthrough. Uh, it, so it, it, there's a way of thinking about trauma, at least cosmologically, that it's it's linked. And I'm just wondering if it, in, in all of your deep work with trauma and collective trauma, if that is something you've discovered as well, or is it is it different than that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like we call it trauma resilience. It's like, what do we learn? And that's also very important. It also, it's very important what kind of precondition meets a trauma in me and how, which relation do I, am I able to create to the traumatic event itself? And, and that will determine the, the massive impact or kind of a reduced impact through my way of relating to it. And so the more I, resilience is in a way a capacity that I have enough structure, or as you said before, the worst thing for the nervous system is chaos. Like uh, the beginning, beginning of the Bible, the Tovavo, like if there's chaos, we cannot keep a form. So in order to stay informed or in a form, we need to preserve a certain form. The defense pattern of our bodies and psyches and so on against overwhelming situations are actually attempts to keep us in a form to protect the information flow and keep our development going. So that's a very powerful trauma. The trauma response is actually a very intelligent function because it uh -huh. preserves, I call it often, it, it protects our contract with God. It protects our contract with the creative force of the universe, which is everybody's life purpose or flow, what we can become we try to preserve this. Why? Because it's sacred. It's the deepest way to experience the flow, the creative expression of the universe. And so when the more I can stay connected in myself to my core and stay related as much as it's possible to the given situation, and that's in a way what you said, the what survived the crisis or the poisoning is actually finding a relation to the poison and then using it for its own evolution. And that's also in the trauma healing, when we come together and we create the relation to that which was overwhelming, it becomes our fuel for evolution. So that's why in every trauma, there's a pearl hidden and it becomes our fuel for evolution. Now, we also have to say that a lot of the trauma that we see in our world are the effects of the transgression of human beings, of the law, the kind of the sacred law of life. So we have killed each other, we have tortured each other, we have, you know, waged war on each other. So we have committed genocides. And that's why on a deeper level, every trauma healing besides PTSD integration and so on is actually the restoration of the divine law what I call the divine law, the flow of life, how life can be transmitted in a healthy way from one generation to the next. There are principles that life developed because we are not the first ones that do parenting. We are not the first ones that learn about, you know, most of the things that we talk about, people thought about before us. So they are like, it's, we are sitting on the shoulders of a giant, as we say, like, so um, that there are already principles and patterns in human evolution that transmit light and consciousness from one generation to the next in healthy ways. And for example, killing disrupts it and, and other, other transgressions. So trauma and trauma and collective trauma healing is on the one hand, the restoration of the traumatic after effects, but then on a deeper level, it's actually what we call the judgment day is standing nakedly in front of the divine, which means the highest presence. So when I'm undefended and the action is truly felt, 
there is a restoration possible. And, and, and so the process that it takes that we call healing is until the moment where the bubble of past and its, its imaginary future get unified into a not-to-ness. The question and the answer become to, not to. And so when we, when we um, go into that ethical restoration, that's in a way opening the gate in the trauma healing to that new future. The pearl of learning is that once we go there, we actually heal the trauma into the future and into the past. And that means that we learn. I often say when we really, if we were really to, to integrate something severe as the Holocaust collectively, not only would it affect tremendously what happens in the Middle East, not, there are so many side effects that we see today in the world. And, but I believe it's the only way that it, it won't happen again because uh, it's the, yeah. the learning, because we need to deal in the ethical restoration with how, did, how come that we, we did it. How, what led up to it needs to be integrated and not just from an intellectual distance, from a real embodied experience that outside and inside can become not two. So this means an intimacy with the root cause of the Holocaust. And that's so hard to do and hard to experience. And the way it takes us to create this intimacy is what we call the time that it needs to heal. And I, and I believe that's why turning towards the discomfort, as you said, is actually what creates also the, the next step of evolution in a resourced way, of course, not that it overwhelms us again, but that we turn towards it as much as we can and to walk our trauma into its healing. I think that's, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And like right over many generations. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I wanted to, um, I wanted to say something about, <laughs> we had, when we had our conversation getting ready for this, um, you mentioned that that language um, is one of the ways in which we we carry on um, the collective trauma, and um, so I gave it some thought, and I came up with um, a, a new word, right? But I, I I I wanted you to introduce the idea of of how language we need new language. You know, I'll I'll give you my the word I invented. <laughs> yeah so yes that's true like first of all to see like words like googling so when you go and google something so maybe 30 years ago or 40 years ago if i came up to you and said listen brian let's google this you would look at me and say what are you talking about you know nobody knew about it and it didn't mean anything so today that it means something means the word is a code that is information between us, is intersubjective information that is encoded in you and in me, and we agree on its meaning. So that means the language creates an intersubjective information field that is confirmed, and because it's confirmed, my chi, my life energy, and my neuroplasticity and yours kind of confirm it creates a, a net and if billions of people do this we have a reality that we sit in today googling means something for billions of people most probably and so there is a kind of a a login that or a, a lock a language lock in between minds there's a field where language connects our minds like a data streaming and we, we, we create together an intersubjective reality. Yeah. Now, when we pay attention, when trauma symptoms speak, there's a certain reality to our language that 
part of the words that we use are actually frozen ice. But in the moment you confirm my frozen ice language and you say yes, you actually strengthen my inner trauma landscape. And that's why... Uh, could you give an example? I love that, of frozen ice. Yeah, um, uh, for example, I, we can say, listen, listen, Brian, um, you know, we are talking and suddenly I feel my heart is tight. And many people know, oh, my throat is closed or my muscles are tense. There's a tension, a muscle tension. I feel a pain in my shoulders. And, and if you say, oh, yes, a muscle tension. Okay, let's maybe Thomas take a massage. In that moment, you confirmed the unconscious process because I presented to you as if my heart got tight, like... I don't know, somebody out there took the remote control, pushed a button, and because I'm not aware how I'm doing it and how I decided to tighten my experience of my heart, my chest, my throat, my anything in my body. It looks like as if it's a passive process that happens to me because something in the universe happened and suddenly I feel... I didn't tell you that I had, like, I'm tensing up. Listen, Brian, we are talking, and I'm tightening up my muscles because this is what it takes to control the fear that comes up in me that also my ancestors had already because they were part of the Second World War. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say that. So I, So the process, like here, the process what was out of the outside of the frame, and I experienced something here that happened somewhere here. So that's why in the healing work, we 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 learn to open up the map of information so that we have bigger and bigger frames of information that we include when we look at medicine, health, psychological health, societal health, because we need bigger frames of information. Otherwise, it looks like passive processes that happen to us. And so when you confirm it, even by trying to, to say something nice or be compassionate, and by being unaware of my shadow language, you actually confirmed my shadow language, which confirms it in me. So then another person says yes to my unconscious. And that's why I'm often saying that there is no individual unconscious. We all are co-investors in each other's shadow companies. We are all shareholders of a collective unconscious. And that's why we need to support a kind of consciousness awakening, rising conscious awareness. Otherwise, we support each other's tendencies that are not healthy. And we, are not, we even don't know that we are doing it. And so that's, and language is one way how to, how to lock down energy in, 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 in the two of us or anybody. And once it's confirmed, it's actually harder to open up because I need somebody that points out, Thomas, closing the closing of the heart is not something that happened to you right now. It happened to you when you were three-year-old and you got hurt and you needed to contract. So what you feel now is actually the past speaking to you. The fears that you have now are the past speaking. Not now. That's why I think it's also a myth. People talk about the stress at workplace. There is no stress at the workplace. We all bring <laughs> our lunch package of stress. I bring one. Yeah. And then at work, we, we share our lunch packages. And everything. it's very stressful in my company. Yeah, but we are creating this company together. And the stress that's happening there is the stress of our attachment patterns of many yeah. other things. It's not happening yeah, right. in the company. Yeah. And, and so as long as we talk in ways where that's excluded, it's going to perpetuate itself. There's no way yeah. out. That's what no I mean. Out. Yeah. I love it. The, 
trading ice back and forth. <laughs> so um, I uh, right. so so we have ways in which our language you know freezes us, and and so we but we also have to invent language and use language in a way that establishes us together in a higher and deeper understanding. Okay, so I um I I was thinking about this and so <clears throat> because the language especially if something is 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 rare and wonderful it can be forgotten. But if but if if some language is there to support it it can be remembered and and can be part of the ongoing healing process. All right. So um here we go. Uh, relationship is fundamental for the healing of collective trauma. And we, we have, for the most part, in, in my own language, it would be in, in a lot of mo modern industrial consciousness has a, a view of a relationship as between, between two objects, right? The other is an object, and I, I consider myself as an object. But I, so we don't, we, I think our understanding of the nature of relationship already carries the collective trauma. That's right. You know, Very good. We, we, we start off separate. Yeah. So I thought, well, what would be another way, another image of um, a relationship? And, I, and, and I, here's my image is, is two galaxies merging. Now, you know, now, What's amazing about a galaxy, like a galaxy, uh, the Milky Way galaxy will merge with Andromeda galaxy in something like 5 billion years. But what's incredible is that, that the merging takes place without the stars colliding. A few will collide, but they're so far apart that the merging is without that kind of stellar damage, right? But what happens, what happens is that all of the gas clouds, not all, but many, many of the gas clouds in, in the Milky Way, in Andromeda, light up so that the merging ignites I'm, literally tens of millions of stars. And, and I thought, now that's what I call a good relationship. So that we, you, we enter into these relationships that light up these potencies we didn't even know we had, right? Right, but, beautiful. But, but the, it's like, it's just like they come alive. And so I, I, and all of us have had experiences like this, but we don't have a word for it. So I, the word I came up with was galacto-merge. <laughs> hmm. Thomas, this has been a, a wonderful moment uh, to Galacto merge with you, and I appreciate it so much, so so much. Right. What, one one uh, short uh, comment to what you said is: once it's so beautiful because it's so correlated to what you said right now. Is once yeah. I know that the Brian I see is not out there, but the Brian I see is happening in me in my perception you are coded into my perception into my whole history that made my perception what it is today so brian happens in my brain and thomas happens in brian's perception so the merging of galaxies happens in the moment we meet and but it's so important that if the more inside is outside, the more we increase and we pay attention to, we presence and practice and integrate the capacity to host each other in each other. If I have a fuller Brian in Thomas and Brian has a fuller Thomas in Brian, then we created an intersubjective cloud field it's kind of equal to the gas. Yes. Uh, it's an intersubjective cloud field that shows us that, for example, myths like keeping a professional distance, 
when therapists or doctors, we say, okay, we protect ourselves from the suffering of our clients. Yeah. yeah, but how does this work if the client or the patient that is in the hospital happens already in my brain? It's a bit closer than my skin. And so how do I keep a professional distance? How do I protect myself from the trauma that I read every day on the news? When once I read it, it's happening already in me. The only way, I have only two ways. One is to strengthen my capacity to relate and to mature it so that I have enough inner space to host it, to feel it through my body, my emotions, my mind, and to have enough space to know exactly what it means and what it means is on all levels and to find a relation to it. Or the other way is I need to contract and go into a, a state of inner stress in order to numb that part of myself that gets overwhelmed by that stress. There is, there is no other option. The only option for a professional distance is fundamental relation. That's the only way. Like maturity is the capacity to mirror the world inside. And that's, I believe, also a way not only for galaxies, but maybe also for our global humanity. Only when, we, when every one of us has the capacity to mirror the world inside, we will have a global consciousness. Otherwise, we have a lot of separation. See, that's, and that's how, how we, that's how we started, with that idea that when that happens, when we realize we are all inside of each other, we will have given birth to this new superorganism right. that Teilhard de Chardin called the, the noosphere. That's but right. it is this, this, it's a unity that we dream of and that we, this work is all about, Man. the work of Sophia. Beautiful, Brian. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team includes Kyle DeMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fort. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs.